Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. Tim, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. It is a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I will uh, let you take it away. I think we'd all love to hear what you're working on over at Bowie. Yeah, absolutely. We do dynamic pricing for vacation rental hosts. So, you know, if you think about opening up an Airbnb, you got to put prices on the calendar. And if you set the right prices, you can make a ton of money. And if you don't, you can lose a ton of money. And it becomes really hard the more listings that you have. So we make all of that really easy by doing everything that a revenue manager would do, but better and faster and automatically. So if I'm an Airbnb owner, and I am not, so I'm just kind of curious about the, I guess, the, <laughs> yeah. the the user journey here on Airbnb as it stands today, and some of these other short-term rental booking platforms. I go on, and what resources do I have available to me, to me today to try and capture the best sort of optimal price? What's kind of the current state? Yeah, so there is an internal tool on Airbnb. It's called Smart Pricing, and it's notoriously underpriced. You're definitely sure to get a booking. You're going to have a very competitive rate. I actually started out using smart pricing way back when they very first introduced it. But I I quickly realized that you can make a lot more money by raising your rate. Um, And then also it has the problem where if you want to push your, like have your same listing up on Verbo and booking.com and stuff, like you can't push that rate. And, you know, honestly, people aren't thinking, well, what does Airbnb want to suggest? They're first thinking, how do I protect this asset that I have? Either at like a mortgage payment or like, you know, if they're doing lease arbitrage, then a, a lease. And so the first thing that people usually do is they say they use like what's called the 8x model, where you take your payment and then you divide it in eight because that covers like each of the, the two weekend nights in a month. And it means that you can always cover the initial payment like from, from that price and then anything else that you get is gravy. And then like base rates, which every one of our competitors, every dynamic pricing algorithm uses the base rate. That's an outgrowth of that approach because you can imagine it getting just like a a little bit more complicated. So like this is the base rate. We'll put it up this much on the weekends. We'll like take it down this far in January. We'll like put it up this high for the Chicago Marathon, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But it's like still derived from like the value of your investment. You know what I mean? It's like built around protecting your investment as opposed to maximizing the revenue that the maximizing the potential revenue that the market can bear. And so, you know, you start off just, oh, okay, I just want to cover my bases. And then you're like, okay, I want to make a little bit more money. And then you're like, okay, I want to know that I'm making the max money that I, I possibly can make. And any like year over year gains are actually um, attributed to improvement as opposed to just like the entire market going up or, or something like that. So believe it or not, we are the first we are the first dynamic pricing algorithm to move beyond the base rate and be commercially available. So we have an algorithm that does exactly what I was always asked to do as a revenue manager, which is create a cohort of competitors, figure out where they're priced, take a look at professional revenue managers at hotels, look at where they're priced, and then adjust my rate accordingly. So we just like automated all of that into a into an algorithm. It was more complicated than I just described it, but it essentially works like that. And, you know, that's how people ask the question. You know, they're like, I want to know how my competitors are priced. I want to be competitive. And like, where are the professionals raising their rates? You know, it's like people ask questions like this. And so we said, okay, let's take all of those questions. Let's bake them into an algorithm and like let the interface just answer the questions for people. So yeah, it's built for people who want to maximize revenue based on like current market conditions 
as opposed to just using a, a rules-based algorithm to put something down in the calendar. And so my question, I guess, from that is, it sounds like your background was in revenue management. Was it for short-term rental properties? Uh, how long did you sort of build this as a tool that you used in your day-to-day job? It sounds like that was part of the product journey. Yeah. But yeah, kind of get a, would love to get a sense of your background and how you ultimately you know, found your way to this opportunity. Well, you know, the the beautiful thing about the vacation rental industry to me is like, it's this very clear path to wealth. Like you can pretty easily open up an Airbnb listing as I did, you know, back in 2013, it was a 330 square foot Chicago basement apartment with literally with a hole in the wall. I covered with a photo that my friend took and I rented that thing out for $40 a night. And like, it was one of the first listings in Ravenswood. For a little while, it was actually the like the number one most viewed listing on Airbnb in Chicago because we had a lot of availability and we were new and like there were fewer than 300 listings at that point. But like building from that, and you know, I, I did some pricing in my day job because I worked in events and you know uh, theater, live events, that kind of thing. So like I just kind of knew how to put things on a calendar. And, you know, I grew from that and I always had this wish, like, I just wish I knew where my competitors were priced. I wish that I, I knew that I could price myself relative to them at at any given point in time. And that idea stuck with me as I grew my portfolio and then went to Oasis and then Hyatt invested in Oasis and they liked my revenue management approach. And they sent me through the schooling that they do with Cornell. And I came back to Oasis ready to put this uh, algorithm into practice. And then they went and sold to Vicasa. It's like classic, classic startup story. So I went and worked as an independent revenue manager to validate the methodology and then eventually turn it into a SaaS product that's completely automated. Yeah. So I guess would love to hear about the status of the product today. And, you know, is it live? Is it currently in the market and people are paying for today? You know, where are you guys right now? Yeah, we got our first paying customers in May after, you know, a few months of testing on the, you know, I guess version one of the product. And we are growing, we're growing more quickly every week. I've I've gotten a lot of response from Clubhouse, but like just this week, we've had more than 200 listings um, come onto the platform from three different users. Uh, We're seeing the highest traction with users who have like in between 25 and 500 listings. So you think like, too much for somebody to just handle on their own and like probably too much for like an amateur revenue manager without like a, a really sophisticated tool to, to manage. And so like we were there to do all of the calculations that take up so much time and that humans tend to mess up. And we, we try to say, okay, we're going to do all of that for you. We're going to display it really clearly. So that way you can spend your time creatively talking among your team and saying, hey, we want to try to get aggressive at this time. We're looking, you know, everybody's got rates high during Thanksgiving week, but we're seeing that the hotels have them really low. So we got to ask ourselves, like, what kind of occupancy are we looking for over this period of time? Do people come into central Washington, D.C. for for Thanksgiving or do they leave? And like, that's where teams are going to get a, a really big ROI and understand their market more fully. If you're spending all of your time just like sorting through spreadsheets and like trying to like figure out what's going on, that's like not a very good use of human creativity and resources, you know? So we try to take that complex data and just like a weather app, like format it really, really simply. So you can spend your time like planning what to do about the weather at the beach, as opposed to trying to figure out what the weather is going to be at the beach. It's the same for your market environment. And I think that it might be helpful to back up and talk about the end customer here. You yeah. touched on a little bit the sweet spot, but uh, you know, listeners may not know you know who 
are these individuals who own a bunch of Airbnbs and are renting, you know, them out or who own properties and are renting them out? Are these revenue or Airbnb rental management companies? Can you just talk about who the end customer is? Yeah. So the end customers for the most part, property management companies that, that need to make their money because they have some sort of contract in place. They're not, they're not doing it casually on the weekend or something like that, because that's, that's so much more a judgment call. Cause you're really saying like, what's the price I'm willing to stomach to have some you know, stranger in my house. <laughs> and like, that's like, that's not really a rational system, but you know, if you're a property manager and you have 10 properties, then, you know, you need to make sure that you're maximizing the revenue on those. So the, the people who are in this range tend to be hobbyists who started off doing something else, you know, kind of like I was, I worked in nonprofits and I opened up one place and I, you know, grew it to seven on a lease arbitrage model because I convinced some number of landlords to work with me. These people are the same way. And if they're good at it, then they'll be able to grow, you know, to 20 and then 50. And like, I have seen people go from a single listing to making a million dollars a month on a portfolio of, you know, one to 200 units. If you're like really good at scaling and, you know, you watch every penny and you have good contracts and you're ready to hustle, then like it's, there's totally an avenue to wealth there. And you meant you touched on a little bit from an ROI perspective. Do you guys have any data on, you know, how much better this maximizes profits for people? Have you, have you started to aggregate that kind of data? Yeah. So in, in our tests, the, the worst improvement we had year over year was 7%. That was for a group of listings in Los Angeles that had four years of maturity, were professionally revenue managed and had been on an industry leading dynamic pricing algorithm for a long time. So like those were, those were pretty well maximized and we squeezed another 7% out of them um, year over year. The biggest improvement that we had was in Louisville for that test, which was a 58% improvement because the, the biggest flaw in the approach is if you enter in the, the wrong base rate, as this user had done back in 2018, it like has really big effects on your calendar, like throughout the whole year. And then the other thing that the dynamic pricing algorithms tend to struggle with is accurate demand prediction. So they missed the Kentucky Derby by quite a bit. They just like didn't put the rate high enough um, and then missed one other like itinerant event. It was like a youth basketball tournament or something like that. And between those two things, plus the uh, the base rate that ended up being 58% or, you know, like between 15 and $20,000 in, in revenue for, for that user. It's not that there's a ton more money to like, you can't say, Hey, I'm going to make you have like four X money. Right. Right. It's like the, the market's not going to bear that, but you can reasonably expect like a five to 20% improvement over your like already very well managed listings. Now the real, like the real magic to the platform is the time savings because there's just no way the way that we get that revenue improvement is by never making a mistake. You know, it's like, you can't say, oh, I forgot about that Ariana Grande concert or it got announced and I didn't adjust it in time. And oh, this guy came in and booked her like whatever it is. You just never make a mistake. And then you save so much time. If I were to do everything that Bowie does just like like that, like it would take me about 50 hours per listing per week. And naturally that would be overkill. Like there's there's no generally no reason to, to do that. But if you want to make sure you never, ever make a mistake, that's what it would take. So why not have that same standard for any, like any portfolio size, as long as you have the uh, algorithm that can handle it? 
And I'm curious about Airbnb's role. You mentioned their smart pricing. Yeah. Do you ever get the question of, oh, you know, why doesn't Airbnb, why haven't they just figured this out on behalf of users of the platform? Like they're, they're basically a public company at this point. You know, how do they not have data scientists sort of, you know, evaluating these prices and, and trying to do this for users or, or I guess solving this conundrum of these missed, these, you know, huge missed revenue opportunities. Just curious on your thoughts on where Airbnb is at. Yeah, I think that they're solving a different problem. Like not everybody wants to maximize their revenue. A lot of people want to minimize their anxiety. Just I I just want to know that my place is booked, you know, and smart pricing is for people like that. Because it can't push to Verbo or booking.com or anything like that, because there's not like big bulk controls and stuff, it's really made for somebody who's like just dipping their toes into the water. They want some price variance, but they they really don't know what to do. And, you know, Airbnb, like the conventional wisdom is that Airbnb wants to keep prices low to keep like to improve their value proposition for people who are choosing vacation rentals as, as opposed to other accommodations. That may or may not be true, <laughs> like, but I, I think that for the people who use smart pricing, low prices help to alleviate anxiety. It like drives like new users onto the platform for Airbnb, gives them advantage over like hotels and stuff like that. So I, I see why it works for them, but it doesn't work for an ambitious entrepreneur who wants to maximize their revenue. Sure, sure. And and how are you thinking about the overall size of the market opportunity that you're going after? Um, you know, looking at this from a TAM perspective, how big do you think the pie is that you're going after? Yeah, so the industry took a hit with COVID and dropped down to a fifty billion dollar industry, but it's projected to get up to a hundred, you know, eclipse a hundred billion um, by twenty twenty five. And this product is as relevant to revenue managers as the weather report is to your, you know, destination managers. You know, it's like you have to understand your your market environment. So think about like who in the travel industry needs to know the weather, and then like who in the travel industry needs to know like the booking environment. Those are the people who could use the platform. Now, like we we think that the lowest hanging fruit are these ambitious entrepreneurs who have like growing portfolios and like not a ton of revenue management training, not a ton of experience in in you know travel tech and stuff like that. So that's where we'll begin. But you know, my dream is really to be like a weather channel for the vacation rental industry, where anybody who who anybody who is curious about their booking environment can go to our website, enter in their listing, and like check their. Check their environment very quickly and just like understand, oh, this is what the next nine months are going to look like for me. I want them to spend, you know, two to five minutes (laughs) in my platform, two to three times a week. In the platform, is it going to be, I guess, the monetization behind this? So is it going to be SaaS based pricing? How are you thinking about your revenue model in the future? Yeah, you know, I really, I had dreams of doing a percentage based pricing, you know, doing a a revenue share, because it makes sense. You're like, I'll make you more money. And then you share the, you know, then we're both incentivized, but wow, people hate those. There were a lot of, I I think a lot of people signed up for that type of model with their, their tech stack early on. And then quickly we're paying 15%, you know, plus other commissions, you know, it's like, it can just wipe out your revenue. It also makes it really difficult to predict what your monthly costs are going to be. And it introduces a pain point around a big success. Like, they're like, yay, I, I negotiated this, this deal. You know, I negotiated the $20,000 for this long stay. Like, why am I going to give you that much of it? You know, so I'm like, okay, you're probably right. We, we need to be priced like a, like a resource. So we are priced $14 per listing per month for the, the first 99 listings. And then after that, it's uh, $9 per listing per month. 
And then I also do want to have a, a free version of the platform that's just like, you know, you can explore and get projections and like a market breakdown and stuff like that. Um, because I, I think that there's a really big gap right now in the industry. There's an opening for somebody to claim revenue management knowledge and, you know, education for the industry. Nobody's really done it because everyone's been so concerned with like trying to adapt the hotel model to fit vacation rentals and amateurs. And I don't think it works that way. So we're trying to create a new revenue management vocabulary to support our original methodology. And I'll, I'll be really happy if we can use our free product on our platform to do that. So I think that it'll end up like trickling up as people learn to analyze their, their market through our lens. And then like it becomes much easier to use our platform, the, the paid platform that actually publishes the rates and does the automatic um, updates and all of that stuff. For people who are wondering about the current state of the market today, you know, we talked about what Airbnb can and cannot do for them. And we've touched upon a little bit what other, you know, competitors are doing today. Obviously, you guys have developed a proprietary algorithm. So that in and of itself is a competitive differentiation. And once it starts showing, you know, real ROI, it becomes almost a moat in that sense because, you know, you'll have gained so much more market share. You'll have much more trust of the market. But in your mind, who do you, who do you see as the other main competitors in this space? And can you sort of illuminate for us how they operate as opposed to how you guys are going to operate? Yeah, so there's really two different two different types of competitors out there right now. Uh, number one, there's like the pure data supplier, so that's uh, AirDNA and Transparent. They provide market intelligence. Um, you know, we like both of them. We get our data from Transparent because it's cheaper to get it from them than it is to scrape it ourselves. So, like, it makes sense. But they don't actually push rates for you. They do make some rate recommendations, but I think that there are some real flaws to their their algorithms because they they just don't introduce enough rate variance, um, and so it it ends up recommending recommending rates that that don't maximize revenue. Then everybody else, every other dynamic pricing algorithm. So that's you know be, formally beyond pricing now, just beyond Price Labs, Wheelhouse. Even now, like rented.com, DPGO, like all of these new, I think there's a new one from Spain called Turbo Suite that I heard about recently. They like, they all use like this base rate model. It's just easy to use a base rate. It's, it's a really easy thing to build. It's been around for a long time and the pain point is really high. So, you know, people, people know that there needs to be something better. People are frustrated by using these algorithms and then people keep making the same version of the company and like the same, same methodology and expecting to have different results. So that's why the industry is so crowded right now. It's like, there's clearly a problem to be solved there and everybody's trying to solve it with base, base rates, which is why it's not getting solved. Yeah, it's funny. I, and again, I think people who haven't really been introduced to this market and I've only used Airbnb as a, as a customer or I guess as a tenant or what's the right word I'm looking for? You're an Airbnb guest. Yes. People who are yeah. Airbnb guests, not hosts. They don't realize, I think, how much of a problem technology and specifically pricing and reporting is for Airbnb hosts. Yep. Yeah, it was funny. When I got into the industry, I left nonprofits and I had always thought about the startup world as like this shiny, like Apple looking sort of tech place. I don't know. I was like, oh, nonprofits. It's all of these antiquated like Excel sheets and like nobody knows how to do this stuff. And blah, blah, blah. It's like there's not been innovation in, in all of this time. And then I got into this industry and it was like, oh my God, like 
everybody in vacation rentals has been focused on innovating in the legal space, like making it legal, innovating in real estate contracts, like all of that stuff. And the tech stacks have stagnated. And like, it makes sense. Like you want to invest in like the actual product and, you know, a whole bunch of companies went out and raised a ton of money a few years ago. And it was like mostly built on expansion. Like, Hey, go sign a hundred apartments onto this lease and like have it at a 10% market premium because we want to make it really attractive to this, you know, big operator. And like it, it, it makes sense as to why there was so much money flowing around, but like we go nuts when we have to interface with these technologies because like, we're like, how can you be the industry leader when you haven't updated your API in seven years? You know, like how, how are the docs like this far out of place? And then when it comes to the, like when it comes to the users, like everything's in Google sheets, like everything's like really hard to like, it's, it's very hard for people to just know, like how much money did I make last night? How full were my units last night and how full are they this week? So for that, we took like I just built all of that into an email report. So every day you get a report. It says like, these are the new reservations you got. This is how much they were worth. These are the upcoming, like upcoming nights on your calendar. If you want to look at any of this stuff, just like click it and you'll head into your property management system. And the, the question will be answered. And like, just, just reading the reports, which takes less than 10 minutes a day, it gives you a near comprehensive view of your portfolio. Like, we have 1,600 listings uh, loaded into the platform right now. I have a near comprehensive view of what all of those listings are doing in those like 20 whatever different markets because I just look at that report every day. And like, I don't spend any more than 30 minutes on it. It's just formatting is incredible. And we have not had great formatting in, in any like tech products in this industry for a long time. Last note on this is like the, if you look at the most recent Hostfully report, they're like sort of the, you know, the industry standard for reporting on travel tech. Pricing and reporting, those have those combined to be the, the number one problem. And revenue management is itself pricing and reporting. That pain point has tripled since they first started tracking it back in 2018. So it is the number one and it's gotten worse. The, all of the other pain points like consolidation and like marketing over the past few years, those have now dropped as there's been innovation in the space. And so now we're seeing all of these competitors, all of this innovation around pricing and reporting. And, you know, somebody's going to emerge as a leader and then that pain point's going to, going to drop. So is it going to be the like venture-backed titans who are probably out raising, funny, uh, raising money right now? Or is it going to be some startup with a different idea? So we're, we're trying to be the one with a different idea. Love that. And I, and again, it is amazing how much of a pain point it is and how, how, you know, how potent it is and how, how deeply felt it's, it's incredible. I would love to hear a bit about the, the future for you guys and, and specifically around, you know, fundraising. And I'd love to touch on tech stars, which you're going through right now and what that experience has been like. But first and foremost, you know, what does fundraising look like for you guys for the next six to 12 months? Yeah. So we are raising right now in Techstars. We're like just beginning a raise, looking for a lead investor. So, you know, we're at that stage of the process, but we do want a $1.5 million seed round. So that'll be a fun end to the uh, Techstars experience, like finishing up demo day with hopefully a big check from a lead investor. I mean, that would be, and then a night on the town in Chicago, if you need some spot <laughs> yeah. recommendations, I mean, that's uh, a Gibson steak with a, with an old fashioned after that. Yeah. It's going to be maybe one of the best days of your career. And and then from, F, you know, what's the Techstars experience been like, you know, for people who are considering maybe the accelerator route with their startups in the Chicagoland area, what's that experience been like? I cannot recommend it enough. It is, it's the best experience our, our company has ever had, like bar none. We had a few 
investors who have more of a background in traditional business, looking at those investment terms and looking at like what people get out of the program and saying like, don't do this. But like it just in talking with their, just in talking with their people on clubhouse, like I was like, Oh, this place is the right place for us. And it has accelerated us because I spend so much less time wondering if I'm doing the right thing. It's like, you know, I, I'm mostly a first time founder. I've had, I've had I've started other things that like went, went so, you know, uh, that closed down so quickly that I could like barely call it a venture. <laughs> so I, I'm essentially a first time founder and I don't want to, I, I haven't built like a really good financial model before. Right. And so I worry and fret and like try to read and research and watch videos and whatever. And like, it's not a very efficient process, but you get into tech stars and they say, okay, build us a, a model. You got to do it in two days. And then we're going to look at it. And I don't have time to second guess myself. I just have to build it. And then I know that if I really, really mess it up as I did the first time that I made it like, well, Troy Hanikoff is going to take a look at it and fix it in two days, which he did. So it's like, there's just a huge safety net there. So I, I don't have to like worry as I like tiptoe on this tightrope. I can like just approach it confidently and know that I'm going to fall off and it'll be all right. So like, it, God, it, it's amazing. I recommend it to everybody. That is such a, a great point as to the benefits of accelerators, I think. It, it, the founder experience, I've never done it personally, but from everything I've heard, it just sounds like such a Herculean effort. And any kind of support you could get, any sort of gaps that you could you augment or skills you could augment has to be so beneficial at you know the pre-seed stage and and i think for you you just have an interesting background to me because if i if i read linkedin correctly you were a theater major at iu uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, so first off go hoosiers but second off <laughs> just just curious about your kind of journey you know how how you went from maybe the theater background into entrepreneurship, if you ever thought this was be this is going to be something that you were going to make a career of and, and mm. kind of how that all kind of morphed for you over time. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up on a Buffalo farm. Uh, so I, you know, I was first a farmer. I started like working on the farm when I was nine, um, which is why I went as far away from a farm as I could possibly get. Like when, <laughs> when I went to college, I was like, I'll be in the theater. And so I, I trained, I trained to be an artist. Um, I actually didn't like acting. I, I liked directing and like doing, you know, doing the big stage imagery and conceptual stuff. And, um, and so I tried to do that a little bit in Chicago when I got there, but I, I don't know, man, like I, I liked the problem solving part of theater, but I realized that like, I'm, I'm, I wasn't telling necessarily the stories that people wanted to make and it was taking, or people wanted to see, and it was taking a long, long time. And then I found that, uh, it was really rewarding, just like ex exploring the marketing side. And, you know, I could just focus on one job. So I did that a little bit like Victory Gardens was a really, really exciting place. Actually, you know, Steve Miller from Origin Ventures was the uh, board president at Victory Gardens when I was there. And so I like, I just naively was like, you know, wasting this amazing resource that I had, like, as I was like presenting my marketing plans to him and like challenging him, like having no idea, like what kind of person he was in the startup industry. Uh, I left that to do a project with the city of Chicago, the Chicago Architecture Biennial. Um, but that was right around the same time that my Airbnb business was starting to take off. So like, you know, that had been growing on the side and, you know, that grew and then like came crashing down as the regulations changed in the city of Chicago. And I, I made a, I made a commitment. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I can leave my job and do Airbnb full time. 
as long as if it all comes crashing down, like I can support myself by being an Uber driver. So when it was, when it did come crashing down, I supported myself by being an Uber driver for a, a little while, then uh, got hired by Oasis and then, you know, used that opportunity to go to Hyatt and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, not a super, not a super normal trajectory, but I don't know. I, I think that that's why I approach problems a little bit more diversely. And also that's probably why I didn't know that you shouldn't be able to build the algorithm that we have. Like I, I wrote it, I actually wrote it, um, assuming that data was available that wasn't available when I first wrote it and, and became available shortly after. So I got really, really lucky because I had like designed this algorithm and then boom, the, the data becomes available. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm probably the first one to have this type of algorithm built. Thanks, Transparent, for having this data like become available. Um, yeah, I think that like the, the really diverse background has made me a, made me a, a problem solver as opposed to like a, an executor in the traditional sense. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. And uh, I love that. I love the background. I love kind of hearing people's paths and journeys to entrepreneurship, to venture capital. It's it's always interesting. And I, I, I guess my last question would be, you know, you've spent time around the Chicago ecosystem. You're in Techstar Chicago right now. Just any overall thoughts or prognosis for the Chicago startup community uh, in, in your mind? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm in Techstar Chicago because we first went to Clubhouse early this year, like trying to make connections with angels and VCs. And I heard like Christopher Deutsch, I think, and and Troy Hennikoff and a couple of other people just like talking about the Chicago startup ecosystem as very supportive and collaborative and welcoming. And I was like, wait, that's, that's how we used to talk about the nonprofit ecosystem. Um, and I didn't necessarily hear people talking about Silicon Valley in the same way. So we, we were like, okay, if our company is going to have the best chance of success, we want to go somewhere where we, like, we personally feel really comfortable, where we can like, cultivate these, these relationships with people we trust and stuff like that. And it, you know, we were actually living in Los Angeles when we applied and there's a Techstars LA happening at the same time, but we wanted, we specifically applied to Chicago so we could be part of that ecosystem as we were fundraising and finding mentorship and all of that kind of stuff. That's awesome. No, that's, that's great to hear. And, you know, I think the ecosystem is lucky to have you guys. And <laughs> I, I'm very appreciative for you taking the time to hop on. I know how busy you must be with going through the accelerator, but I couldn't be happier that we were able to, to line up this interview. You know, Tim, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. We can't wait to see what's next and to, uh, to see how that seed round shapes up. Thank you so much. Um, it was a pleasure to be here and I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome. Well, all right, there you go. I mean, you're invited back. There you go. All right. We're, that's so you say that and I'll invite you on the spot. I will invite Great. you on air. Great. Awesome. awesome. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> Love it. Tim, take care. You too.